It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It is our Friday edition of the Leach Report. And looking forward to uh, this weekend as a sports fan because uh, I've got the PGA Championship to watch. uh, Day two today. I enjoyed watching a lot of that coverage. It was on until past 10 Eastern uh, last night uh, because of the venue being in San Francisco. And then I have a couple of big thoroughbred racing events with the Travers Day card up at Saratoga tomorrow. And then uh, Ellis Park has a derby prep for the first time ever on Sunday. They have a nice card down there. We'll talk a little bit about that today with Marty McGee from the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, We'll talk with C.J. Conrad, former Wildcat football star who's now back with Coach Stoops' team as a grad assistant. And Kent Spencer from WHAS-TV. That is our guest lineup. Let's roll into the Wildcat news of the day. We'll start with a little football news. USA Today coaches poll came out. Kentucky 29th. And somewhere yesterday I was flipping through Twitter uh, after uh, that news came out. And I uh, didn't write it down, didn't write the note down, so I can't, haven't been able to go back and find it. But some somebody I followed did note that it was the uh, highest – that Kentucky had been uh, ranked in a preseason poll, I believe, since 92. I just can't cite the source because I couldn't find it this morning. Um, but the fourth on the on the list of teams also receiving votes outside the top 25, hence number 29. I think it was 73 total votes for the Cats. Uh, CBS's John Rothstein yesterday had an interesting note saying that he's heard some power conferences in college basketball have discussed a bubble. I think Jeff Goodman later reported it was the Big East and the Big Ten that are having those discussions as far as anybody knows at this point. But it's an interesting concept. I think it was Kevin Willard at Seton Hall that maybe was the first one to float the idea of trying to load up the the schedule uh, right after Thanksgiving when students are headed back home and there's a long time when there's no not much of anybody else on campus in the college basketball season so i don't know if they're looking at at doing that or uh maybe going to conference only has been some discussion like uh, football has done Um, but uh that's uh, an interesting concept of you know and i would think if you're doing a bubble in college basketball you would have to do it within a conference um do you get uh, everybody to go to a, a certain spot what that spot would be for the different conferences who knows uh, disney can't handle everybody so um but it was an interesting concept it just goes to show you that people are having to be uh, tremendously you know creative and, and innovative in this time it's it's one of those times where you would you'd see this line show up in uh, maybe in, in meetings you've been in, or maybe it's in movies or something, where they say, uh, no, I, no idea is too crazy to throw out there. Well, this is one of those times, I think. Uh, Major League Baseball implementing harsher penalties for violation of the COVID-19 policies. 
dealing with things like masks and going to bars, lounges, and malls. That's uh, prohibited. This uh, violations of the policy could ultimately lead to suspensions. I think it starts with a, a written um, uh, admonition and then uh, goes up from there. At U of L, three soccer players who hosted the party that uh, led to 29 positive tests among athletes uh, and four sports being uh, having their activities paused. Uh, three of those soccer players have been dismissed from the team. Uh, and it just between that and the MLB story just serves to, to uh, underscore that um, you know the, there's going to you know athletes are on one hand seeking and, and trying to use understandably some of the leverage they have in these times to uh, get better safety pro- uh, protocols or other things. But it also goes to show you that on the other side of the equation, um, the the leagues, the schools, etc., aren't going to be messing around where there's this much money involved. Uh, Penn State, no fans at games. They made that announcement yesterday. Purdue's Rondale Morton opts out to prepare for the draft. Uh, players, uh, star players at Penn State and Miami have also done that. So this is going to be a thing coming for uh, this college football season. Um, Morton is a top draft prospect, so rather than play this season, he is just going to prepare for the 2021 draft. A third EKU football player, according to the Richmond Register, has left over concerns about the safety protocols related to COVID-19. And one other note from the NBA, uh, De'Aaron Fox went for 30-10 and 10 in a Kings win over New Orleans yesterday in a matchup with, who else, Lonzo Ball. Uh, he has, if, if Kentucky fans will remember uh, the most, uh, who I always thought was one of the most overhyped college basketball players ever, Steve Wojciechowski at Duke, and how Wayne Turner just took him to school time and time again in that 98 game. Kind of that uh, that way whenever Fox runs into Lonzo Ball. And uh, De'Aaron now averaging uh, 27.5 points a game in the four games of the NBA restart. Um, so he's off to a, uh, a great start. Just can't keep uh, – every time I see De'Aaron Fox's name pop up, I think, man, the Lakers really screwed that up. They had a chance to draft him, and they took Lonzo Ball. Links to the stories that we talk about, you can find them on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We'll head to a break. C.J. Conrad will join us when we come right back here on the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. 16 past the top of the hour. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We're going C.J. Conrad to the program. C.J., how you doing? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Doing well. Good to have you back in the bluegrass. Yeah, I'm happy to be back, man. Uh, are you gonna, you're going to be in an off-the-field grad assistant coaching role for Coach Stoops' program while you're working on your master's. Uh, is, is coaching something you could see yourself doing long-term? Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, ever since I was playing college football. That was something you know after my pro career that I definitely wanted to get into. 
saw where you uh, said that Coach Merrow and Courtney Love were two people that maybe uh, were either models or, or inspiration for you in terms of thinking that way. Elaborate on that a little bit for us. Yeah, I think uh, for a couple different reasons. Courtney was my roommate in college and, and uh, a teammate of mine, and uh, he hopped into a graduate assistant role um, immediately after he was done playing and kind of just watching him and, and the success that he's had and, and just like, you know, the way that he approaches work every day I, I and how much he's enjoyed it. And then, uh, you know, Coach Marrow, just like watch, like being coached by him uh, and also the way, you know, how much success he's had with the recruiting, it's kind of gotten me, you know, excited about, um, you know, eventually one day when I become a position coach to, you know, be a great recruiter and, and seeing the things that he does and what he's so good at. And then also the tight ends coach, just how he gets his players ready to play every week. Can you remember when you uh, first started to think that, coaching might be your career track um see i never i don't know i mean i would say probably right when i got to kentucky because i watched this program like just how it's you know became such a family over the years and how coach Stoops has done such a good job of making this uh, a winning program like it made me really believe that if you put your your heart into something and and buy into, you know, a dream that you know you can really make a reality. And just watching how these guys have done it over the past couple of years and how Kentucky's done such a good job of keeping, you know, for the most part, you know, this coaching staff pretty much the same over the last six, seven years. That's just kind of inspired me to get into this role because I wanted to be part of something special. And, and I loved it so much when I was a player. I want to do it now as a coach. You were uh, part of a couple of classes that uh, bought in – to uh, the the vision of what Kentucky football could look like, things like winning the Citrus Bowl, uh, back when that wasn't happening, when they weren't uh, having even winning records. So um, what was it that you saw then and then in the program that makes it, to use your word, special? Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, like, I my first you know year there, year and a half, because I came in early, it, it was a grind. Like it, it, we're going through some tough times as a program, but that's why I think makes it so special to see where we're at now and where we got to my senior year with capping off the Citrus Bowl. Was I saw the struggles that we went through and, and watching Coach Stoops how he handled that every day. I thought like there was going to be a couple of days in there where I thought, oh, he's going to be you know a little down, or, or you could start to see and maybe the wheels come off because like that's what happens in, in college football is. You know, you get a couple losses, and then you know you you think you build all this momentum, and then the whole thing falls out from underneath you. And like watching Coach Stoops every day, um, I you know I was on the team that we start zero and two, we we lose to Southern Miss, then we go to Florida and get destroyed. Like that that was not fun times for our program. And I remember being in those meetings and just what like, you know going into those meeting rooms and thinking Coach Stoops was not you know could possibly give in and he never flinched and he always preached that to us players like you know he's not giving up on this he's never going to flinch and it like to watch where we're at now it's truly amazing because there was multiple times at the beginning this is not something that was really easy to build and, and the fact that you know we still are, are killing it today just shows so much how coach Stoops has really changed this place yeah i was on a show recently was asked about the the turning point in that 2016 season and i think the game that people point to most often is uh, the the last second win against mississippi state 
Uh, you could uh, mention the the Louisville game at the end of the season. You could mention the South Carolina game early, you know, like uh, I think two weeks after that zero and two start. Uh, is there was there any one moment that that you felt uh, a breakthrough, or was it just gradually building? Well, the thing was, Tom, we always I felt like we were so famous for coming out hot and then kind of like you know falling apart. I remember it was maybe Coach Soup's second year and then my first year when I was a freshman, like we would start our non conference schedule like five and one and then the back half of the season we would go, you know, one and five, one and six and then not make a bowl game. I think what changed that year was we stayed consistent throughout the season, almost flipped. We kinda of started slow and then everybody kinda of assumed that we were gonna do what we always did, which is fall apart towards the end of the year. And I think we'd always lose those heartbreaking games. And, like, we kind of just made a decision as players and coaches, like, that's not us anymore. Like, we're going to finish strong. And, and we just started winning close games because when you play in the SEC, I don't, play, I don't care if you think you're playing the worst team in the SEC or the best. Like, it's going to be a fourth quarter, four quarter uh, grind. And, and we embrace that. And I think that's, you know, the turning point. Yeah, Kentucky had a comeback from 10 plus points down or 10 points down in the the Belk Bowl, and uh, I think it was maybe the, the ninth time since uh, Mark has been here. It's a school record, whatever the number is. I don't have it in front of me. But there have been a lot of those, you know, just close wins where you guys, uh, and it started really in 16, where you, you just hang around, uh, you make enough plays to stay in the game, and then uh, started finding a way to win them in the fourth quarter. And um, what is it about um, the way Mark Stoops has uh, runs his program that – uh, enabled you guys to build that and for it to then have carried over? Well, I think Coach Stoops does a really good job of, of putting the team in, in the player's hands. And he always says the strength of the team is the team. And that year, I remember going into my uh, my senior year, we had lost. We always felt like you lose those heartbreaking games. Like I felt like that happened all the time to us. And I remember going into my senior year, we were playing Florida. And we were always just like, you know, start off hot because we, you know, we're real excited about the game and that, you know, third, fourth quarter comes, they may come back and beat us. And I just remember going into that game, uh, my senior season, we got up on them and we were just, you know, yelling on the sidelines, like, you know, like we're not, we're not trying to win this game, like by seven points, like we're trying to crush them, like put your foot on the gas. Like, and like, that was our mentality. And that's kind of like that when I was there in the past, that that wasn't the case. Like we were just, so happy that we were up against four or seven points. Like it's almost like we were celebrating before the game was over, and that just hasn't been the case over the last two seasons. And I think that's why we're doing such a, so much better at you know handling when we're up or not getting too low when we're down. And that just speaks to what Coach Soups has been preaching over the last couple of years. The Missouri comeback and, and your touchdown catch. Um, if I had to guess, what was your most memorable play? I would certainly guess that one. Is that t- correct? I would say so, but it's just so hard to say because that game was so brutal. <laughs> like that—that that was one of the most like lows I've ever been, and then the highest I've ever been. It was—I uh, hey, know you as a fan. It was like one of those games where you're playing in it, and you know, as a fan, like man, this game has to be brutal to watch. Like it was frustrating as players to play in um, because it's always hard uh, when your defense is playing so well and the offense is struggling because. You feel like you're letting the defense down, and that was the definition of that game. I just remember 
like Josh Allen kept coming over the sidelines, like trying to get us going. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Like we're trying, you know, and, and, and like eventually for us to break through like that, that was uh, a really awesome feeling. Jack with CJ Conrad. We'll take a quick break and come back and uh, do one more uh, short segment and, and then let him get back to work. It's the Leach Report Radio Network for Friday. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. We're back with CJ Conrad, now of the UK football staff here on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We were talking about that Missouri game. You know, as a longtime follower of this program, um, you, know, you, you don't have all this history, uh, CJ, but that was a game that the win at Missouri signaled uh, something different was happening because we had seen way too many times where Kentucky lost games in the way that Kentucky won that one, where Kentucky was the Missouri and outplayed the other team for most of the game, but the other team found a way to make enough plays to pull it out in the end. Uh, was that something where you guys took some some pride in that, even though you uh, maybe didn't play certainly as well as you hoped? Yeah, no no doubt. I mean, that was, that was an unbelievable win for our program as well, getting the opportunity to play Georgia next week, the following week to, for to, you know, to represent the East. And I just think it kind of spoke to our team. And, and you know, we don't have to – like, we had built something. like if, In the past, if we didn't play a perfect game against one of the better teams in the East, like, we had no business being in that game. And that just kind of showed, you know, what we do and, and how far we've come to, to not play our best football and, and for our defense to step up and get so many stops like they did and, and just hang around, hang around, and then – at the last moment, you know, get that win. Just it's all that stuff that we worked for uh, in the summer, what we talked about when it came to fruition that day. Need a quick answer on this. We're inside the final minute, but do you see some qualities in this group of guys in the time you've been around them that remind you of your 2018 team? Absolutely. Uh, I, I'll, I'll keep it short. Well, I haven't been around the program in about 24 months, and to see these new guys that Coach Stoops has brought on campus, these guys are monsters. I'm excited to work with them. CJ, appreciate the uh, time and uh, best of uh, luck in the new role. Look forward to, well, hopefully seeing you on a practice field at some point when we get back to some normalcy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. CJ Conrad, uh, going to be a great addition to Coach Stoops' staff. Let's uh, get to a break as we come up here on the bottom of the hour, and we'll come back with Marty McGee from the Daily Racing Forum. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. Second half of our Leach Report show for this Friday. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. And Marty McGee joins us from the Daily Racing Forum. It's a big weekend on the the road to the Kentucky Derby, Marty, including this is one of those 2020 phrases that has... gotten uh, into our vernacular that we never thought we'd say a kentucky derby prep race at ellis park <laughs> that's right tom you also have a little race called the travers the uh yeah. used to be the midsummer derby i don't know what they're calling it this year but uh it's a it's a got the kentucky derby favorite and tis the law for uh or uh, you know he's the favorite for the september 5 derby and We've got a full gate of 12 going at Ellis Park the next day, Sunday, headed by uh, the Bluegrass winner, Art Collector. So it should be a, 
very uh, interesting weekend uh, on the Derby Trail. And uh, you, I know, have, have made reference to this in some of your coverage over the months of what a great story uh, Tom Drury is with Art Collector for owner Bruce Lunsford and won the Bluegrass Stakes uh, impressively. And you know, if you're a buyer speed figure guy, the, I think it was I think the second highest of the year. So he's uh, he's legit. Oh man, I'm so excited for Tommy Drury. He's one of those guys you can't remember where or when you met him. You've just kind of known him, you know, for the last. 25 years or whatever, but uh, who'd have thunk that, A, there would have been an Ellis Park prep race for the Derby, and B, that Tom Drury would have one of the top contenders I mean, when this year started. It's just, it's just, it's wild, and uh, a lot of a lot of people coming from out of the woodwork uh, expressing their support for, for Tom. Yeah, you know, he is uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, Calvin Burrell in this sense. I was interviewed Calvin in the Keeneland Paddock in 2007, and you know, at that point, he the only derby mounts he'd ever had were long shots, and he had street sense to ride in the derby that year. And I remember asking him, you know, I said, you know, this is the first time you've ever been on a horse that is people are giving a, a real good chance to win the race. Um, you know, have you thought about maybe this being, you know, your one and only shot at winning a derby? And he, he said, yes, he did. And he just prayed and told God that if he would put him in position to win it, he promised not to screw it up. And <laughs> you damned if he didn't win three of that, three of the next four. <laughs> yeah, it's neat. I mean, just think about this. Tommy Drury had never even won a graded stakes race in 30 years of training, it's, which uh, i got to say is not reflective of, of his abilities as a, as a horseman. But the fact that he now has won one, and that was a bluegrass, and he now has one of the favorites, if, depending on what happens Saturday with Tizzle Law, could be the favorite. Um, yeah, it, it's just almost unfathomable. Yeah, he's just a, a you know, you, you can be an excellent uh, horseman, but you've got to have the stock, got to have the players, to use a coaching term, yeah. to uh, compete uh, at uh, the level it takes to win races like the Derby. So he finally has Absolutely. a shot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got a guy like my brother. He's won I don't know how many great races, pretty many. But he's never had anything close to a, to a derby prospect. So you never know. You really don't. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, and a lot of guys that are capable of, of doing the work. You know, your brother Paul had uh, bet on Sunshine uh, that was a major player in Breeders' Cup races for, what, three or four years. So give him the right horse, he can do the work. Yeah, I mean, you can say that about a whole bunch of these guys. It's, yeah, exactly. Same with, the, same, with the, same with the jockeys, too. You know, you think about Stuart Elliott or, or Mike Manganiello or some of these guys who won the Derby, and you've got guys like Javier Castellano who has never won it or Alex Solis, and, and it's just kind of a, a fate kind of luck thing. And uh, I remember Shane Sellers telling me uh, years ago, I can only ride them as fast as they can run. So it's, <laughs> it's all, about what you, all about what you got underneath you. I like that line. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the two races. Uh, we'll start with the Travers, since it'll come up uh, tomorrow. And Tis the Law is the big favorite in there. Uh, the one thing, I, the question I have about him, and he, you know, could well win this tomorrow. He's outstanding horse, obviously, but um, doesn't, you know, from a speed figure standpoint, doesn't seem to. He seems to maybe have have plateaued. Is that a valid concern? Well, that's possible. I mean, they're all up there about the 102s or so, and uh, this is going to be very telling. I mean, he's going the mile and a quarter t- uh, tomorrow, the same distance as the Derby. I don't remember ever having, except for maybe Canyon Arrow, having mile and a quarter prep races. 
Um, That's right. So, uh, you know, nobody's conceding the race to him. Let's say that. Let's say that the, the horses out in California last weekend, a thousand words got a one hundred and four. To me, it looked like they were just kind of galloping down the stretch, but nonetheless, the figure came came back real big. And uh, so, in terms of the uh, the buyers, they're all pretty well matched. It looks like. And then on Sunday, uh, Art Collector will be a huge favorite and, and stands out on, on the numbers. And yet, um, you have to also factor in you know the the intent. They they've qualified for the Derby. They don't need to win this. So you know uh, the uh, the mindset will be a little different for that horse versus a lot of the ones he's running against. But they could still he could still just be better than them. Yeah, I think he will be. He'll be three to five or so. He's four to five on the morning line. Um, I've just been so impressed with him, Tom, both in his races at Keeneland. I've seen some snippets of his his works since then at Churchill, and uh, he's just really a talented horse. I think he'll win, even though Tommy has said, we're just trying to make this a bridge, a stepping stone to the Kentucky Derby, get a, another tightener in him and, and go from there. So uh, they just want to have a clean trip, a, a uh, win or lose, and, and and get him to Louisville the right way. Uh, this would be a, a question for Mike Battaglia on uh, on Monday after these races play out because that would be essentially, I guess, there's what uh, maybe the peg at, uh, at Monmouth or something still left, but essentially the uh, the main Derby preps are over. As to uh, what the say top three or four in the morning line for the Derby would be after this weekend, uh, assuming the favorites win, tis the law and art collector. How do you think it would stack up? Well, I think uh, we might have our heaviest, depending if Tizzle were to win impressively on Saturday, uh, this might be the heaviest favorite in the Derby since point given was 9-5 to five in 2001. You know, it's been back to 1992 since we had a real heavy favorite, that being Arazi when he was 4-5. to five. But uh, uh, Tizzle has done nothing wrong since he left out of here with the third-place finish in the Kentucky Jockey Club last November. And his paper is going to look really good if he ends up winning on Saturday with his, his three races and uh, his two races in Florida, and then the Belmont, and then this. And, and you'd have he'd be the only one with a triple crown on the line. So I think I think that would uh, make for him to be a, a pretty solid favorite. Talking with Marty McGee from the Daily Racing Forum at DRF. Is it at DRF Marty McGee or at DRF McGee on Twitter? DRF McGee. DRF on McGee. Twitter. I was reading uh, one of your colleague's stories in the form at drf.com uh, today about um, the uh, ratings, how strong they've been for uh, Fox. I think they had a little news conference yesterday in advance of their Travers coverage and uh, just the tremendous growth that they've had in viewership during these times when for a long stretch – Racing was the only live sport going. Uh, handle has been up through ADWs, uh, obviously, rather than on track. Are you, as a race, long-time racing follower slash journalist, are you optimistic that some of those newfound fans and dollars can be retained? Some being the operative word there, Tom. Yeah, I think so. I think we should. Uh, people have been sitting around with nothing to do and saying, hey, let's yeah, what, what can we bet on? So, yes. You know, they've been betting on horse racing. They think, yeah, this is a pretty cool game. So I think that's borne out in the numbers that uh, were recently released. And, um, you know, I, we get asked this question about when the Triple Crown uh, puts us on the radar, the, the national radar, and that. What, can you sustain that? Not to that extent, but uh, hopefully there will be some residual effects whereby uh, the sport can continue to – to thrive in a you know in, in the way we want it to. 
Marty, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the racing this weekend. Always, buddy. Thanks a lot. You, you can read them at drf.com. Uh, we're heading to a break. Kent Spencer from WHAS-TV in Louisville when we come back on the Leach Report Radio Network. Friday edition of the Leach Report, 14 away from the top of the hour to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline we go. Bring on Kent Spencer from WHAS-TV in Louisville. A uh, guy from uh, there, Rondale Morton out of Trinity High School, uh, now at Purdue, announced yesterday he's opting out of the upcoming season to prepare for the draft. He'll be a top prospect. Uh, players at Penn State and Miami made the similar announcement yesterday. Um, you think we'll be seeing a, a few more of these or a lot more of these, Kent? I do because, I mean, just some of the things that you've seen, you know, in the last, I don't know, a couple of days, um, you know, I, I saw some people who cover it on a much more national scale say, you know, there is a, a pretty good list of good players uh, that will probably opt out. They were I guess hoping that the season wouldn't happen so they wouldn't have to do it. Um, but if the season does, you know, continue to go down, if the seasons are going to be played, um, some of the more of these players are, are just going to opt out and, and start getting ready for the draft at, at that particular time. So I do, I, you know, I don't know who, who it may be, but I do expect more to come. It's uh, a, a definitely a, a sea change in college sports on something like that. Also with players speaking out. We've got the players in the Pac-12 and the, the Big Ten uh, that I've um, talked about not only better safety protocols that they want, but other things as well, uh, financial uh, issues. So um, kind of uh, started with a couple of players earlier this summer um, using exerting some leverage and they uh, they tested the waters, and uh, it's not surprising now that, uh, given the results of you know how the test of the leverage went, that there are going to be more players uh, pushing uh, that angle. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, so far it seems like I mean Louisville's been in fall camp for a couple of days. It doesn't seem like um, it's reached that level there. Um, everybody has said good things that that we've been able to talk to so far, and we've been able to talk to. The players and coaches, and uh, Scott Satterfield says nobody's opted out. You know, at at Louisville, um, now players have gone to him, and, and the different. You, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that players now have a voice; they have you know much more power than they've ever had. Um, you know, some of the players at, at Louisville have gone to Satterfield, and um, you know, have requested to do certain things throughout the course of the season in regards to to promoting social change. Um, they want to. They usually wear in their pregame warmups a, a T-shirt that says "One." They now want to wear um, something that says "Black Lives Matter." They want to do something in honor of Breonna Taylor, and then they want to uh, help out a charity throughout the course of the year. That's just another example of, of players kind of using their newfound power. Um, but you know, Kentucky doesn't start you know fall camp for a few weeks. Um, still, still to come. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens there. Um, as far as you know, what players want to do, and you know, you, you see certain things on on Twitter. As far as you know, you know, make, makes you raise your eyebrows a, a little, you know, every now and then, um, but nothing definitive. So, you know, as far as locally, when it comes to, to players possibly opting out or demands, we really haven't heard anything yet. But it'll just see. It'll be interesting to see how how this thing plays out as the season nears. 
And then uh, you had the three soccer players at UofL yesterday uh, dismissed from the team. Uh, Major League Baseball, I see, has implemented some harsher penalties for violations of their COVID-19 policies, things like, you know, involving the wearing of masks. And it says, you know, their players are uh, expected not to go to bars, lounges, and malls. And, um, you know, this keeping, uh, you know, professional players from doing that, keeping college players from parties, it's going to be a challenge. Well, and, and, and how about this, Tom? Keeping high school kids from it. Because, yeah. and, and the thing, and we always take that I mean, the NBA and the NHL, I mean, they've, they've done it right because they, they can do this, is is the bubble has worked. I think, I think, you know, we all can kind of agree that the bubble is definitely the best way to go. But you can't do that with college kids, and you can't do that with high school kids. You can't put them in a bubble and isolate them from everybody. So, um, and it, and at some point, you know, college kids come back to campus and they go in classes, and you know, all of this happens, and and that's just going to be a real challenge. Um, I saw where Illinois said they're going to start testing their their athletes every day um, for, for COVID nineteen. So. Testing is definitely going to have to be ramped up, you know, especially during this time. And I think that you're going to see more and more positive tests. You know, you're probably going to have to start seeing some teams um, at the college ranks when they start playing these things for real, depending on how long it may last. I think you're going to start seeing some teams possibly forfeit games. Yeah, the uh, I think it was the Washington Post got the access to the – uh, confidential call that the SEC had with players and uh, or some player representatives, and a, a big deal was made of the the fact that they were told that um, you know that to expect you know positives and that they couldn't you know keep them a hundred percent you know safe from that, and there would be outbreaks. And uh, my, my thought was, well, yeah, of course there is. When they're going to be when you get camp students back on campus too, it's um, it's going you know anytime you get people together. In a large number of people together, I think it's inevitable if you if it happens for very long that you would have some outbreaks. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and I think all of the all of the local teams, I think, have felt really, really good about the protocols that they've got in place as far as being able to, to keep you know kids um, out of it. And, and you know, I talked to Tom. We talked to Tom Allen yesterday, the, the head football coach at Indiana. And he said, you know, it, our problem was because if you remember, you know, Indiana had to shut down workouts for a few weeks um, over the summer. And he said, you know, our problem isn't when the kids are here. When they're here, everything's fine. It's when they go away from here. That's where that's where we had our issue, and that's where it kind of came back into our program. And I think that that, you know, that speaks loudly for, for just about everybody. I think everybody feels good about their protocols, but at some point, you can't keep them in the bubble. You know they, they've got they've got to go out, uh, and when they do, are they making the choices? Are they staying away from people? And you know it's easy for me, being a forty-two year old man, to, to say, "Hey, you got to you got to do this." But when you're nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old, and you think you're bulletproof, that's different. I saw an article by a writer at CBS Sports, Chip Patterson, and the uh, talking about quarterback play will be more crucial than ever because less preparation time and so uh you know uh, the guy who has the ball in his hands the most uh if he's uh, something a little extra special gives you a little bit of an edge uh that would seem to make sense no yeah yeah i mean i think uh over over the last couple of years we've uh we've seen some some guys but you know under center or behind center 
um, do some special things at that position, and it completely elevates a, a football team. Yeah, if this this would have been uh, actually in, in those circumstances, a uh, well, the way Kentucky's year played out, a uh, a good uh, you know would have been a good fit for these circumstances okay we only need to learn a small number of plays we just need to dress them up differently and we just put the ball in this guy's hands a lot and let him do his thing yeah absolutely no absolutely and and as you saw last year um uh, it definitely worked out in kentucky's favor and now uh and now he's in the nfl and, and uh, the las vegas raiders are finding ways to, to get him on the field and get the ball in his hands yeah he seems so to have landed in the uh, perfect spot it it helped out everybody in that regard Kent, thank you so much for the time, uh, and uh, good luck on uh, keeping things going. How many days now uh, with the uh, kids there? Well, you've picked a great day to have me on the on the show today. Today is day one hundred. Oh my goodness! What so, what do we have planned yeah. for day one hundred? Anything special? Yeah, we we, we uh, you know look we, we we're tossing around a few ideas. We may make <laughs> snow cones. We got a snow cone maker team. We may have a uh, we may have a dance party revisited. Um, we're trying to do it maybe day 100. Who wouldn't want to be quarantined with the Spencer family? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kent. Thank you, buddy. Kent Spencer, WHAS-TV. Follow him on uh, Twitter because uh, you'll you'll keep up with uh, him and his kids and the adventures in quarantine. Uh, we'll come back and wrap it up in just a moment on the Leach Report. Happy birthday to a former Wildcat basketball star, James Blackman, celebrating a birthday today. Keeneland Select Race of the Week. We're going with the Travers. I'm going to give you a bit of a price here in South Bend. I don't know if he can win it, but first time in the Bill Mod Barn. I think he could uh, hit the board. Maybe if he could get up to second, could juice up the exacta. And I think he's got a shot with a little improvement to uh, win at a big price. So South Bend is going to be the key horse for the Travers uh, this weekend. KentuckyHempWorks.com. That's the sponsor of our hotline here on the Leach Report. They grow the hemp in their fields in Christian County, produce it on site, so they oversee the whole process. It's a Kentucky Proud operation, too. Family run. Check out KentuckyHempWorks.com for their all their entire line of products. Go to their YouTube channel. Get educated on what the hemp industry could mean for our state and the family farms. KentuckyHempWorks.com. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leechreport at gmail.com.